Hello, I'm Austin McCormick, and you're listening to The Covenant Podcast. The Covenant Podcast exists to discuss doctrine, theology, and the biblical worldview from a covenantal Baptist perspective. We pray that this resource will be edifying to you and glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's get started. The doctrine that we will be discussing today is original sin, and I'd like to start by giving us multiple definitions of original sin. In Gerhardus Voss's Reformed Dogmatics, he asks the question, what is meant by original sin? And he gives the answer, it is the sinful, guilty state into which we have come by Adam's first sin. It is the inherent corruption with which as a result of this state we are born, and is called a hereditary guilt and a hereditary pollution. The Lexham Survey of Theology defines original sin as the doctrine that, as a result of Adam's fall, all mankind are sinners by nature having a propensity to sin that underlies every actual sin. We can find another definition of original sin in the historic 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. In the sixth chapter, in paragraphs 2 and 3, the confession reads as following, Our first parents, by this sin, fell from their original righteousness and communion with God, and we in them, whereby death came upon all, all becoming dead in sin and wholly defiled, in all faculties and parts and soul and body, they being the root, and by God's appointment standing in the room instead of all mankind, the guilt of the sin was imputed, and corrupted nature conveyed to all their posterity, descending from them by ordinary generation, being now conceived in sin, and by nature children of wrath, the servants of sin, the subjects of death and all other miseries, spiritual temporal, and eternal, unless the Lord Jesus set them free. John Dagg clearly explains the doctrine of original sin in a few sentences. He writes in his Manual of Theology, The first man and woman were created holy, and for a time served their Creator acceptably. The first man, having been placed under a covenant of works, violated it, and brought its penalty on himself and his descendants. So as we look at these definitions, we learn that Adam and Eve were created by God sinlessly, and God entered into a covenant of works with Adam. If Adam would have obeyed the covenant of works, then he would have inherited eternal life. And if Adam would have failed... He would have earned eternal death because of sin, and we know that Adam did sin. We've briefly discussed the definition of original sin, but now I'd like to uh, look at some Bible passages and uh, explain this teaching from Scripture. In Genesis 2.17, God told Adam and Eve, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. 
skip on over to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, and we understand what happens. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. God explicitly told Adam and Eve not to do one specific thing. Eve took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And now Adam, as the representative of all humanity, is guilty before God. In Genesis 3-7, the Bible reads, Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They knew they were naked. Adam and Eve immediately recognized their guilt and tried to clean themselves up by sewing fig leaves together. Remember that God had entered into a covenant of works with them. If they had obeyed, then they would have inherited eternal life. And had they disobeyed, now death must come. Punishment must come. There is consequences for sin. And if you skip on down to Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, it reads as following. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall or you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the fields. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. We see that Eve is punished with childbearing, and Adam is punished with toiling after the land. But the punishment for sin, as we will see throughout the entire Bible, is far greater than just these two uncomfortable circumstances. If you flip on over to the New Testament in Romans chapter 5, we read, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgressions of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. Paul makes a bold statement here. Sin came into the world through one man. We learned that that one man was Adam, and death comes as a result of that sin. That was the promise given in the covenant of works if they did not keep the covenant of works. The result is death. But death spread to all men because all sinned. The doctrine of original sin teaches 
that death spread to all men because all sin. The doctrine of original sin teaches that we are by nature sinners because of this sin that happened in the Garden of Eden. 1 Corinthians 15, 21-22 reads, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. A very important sentence is raised here. In Adam all die. That is, everyone who is under the curse of the covenant of works, that being death, die because Adam and Eve's guilt and sin is imputed to all of their progeny, all of their offspring. Everyone who is related to Adam and Eve inherits sin, but all who are in Christ shall be made alive. And we'll get to the redemptive work of Christ later. But for now, I want to continue on this doctrine of original sin. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, very familiar passage, the Bible reads, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of all mankind, or the rest of mankind, excuse me. Mankind is by nature children of wrath, dead in sins, following the prince of the power of the air, because they are by nature sinners because of what happened in the Garden of Eden and the result of that being spread to all offspring of Adam and Eve. Romans chapter 8, verses 7 through 8 reads, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That is, all who are in Adam, meaning everybody, cannot please God unless God saves them first. The last main verse that I want to look at concerning the doctrine of original sin is found in Psalm chapter 51, verse 5, which reads, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David was not trying to say that his parents had a sinful relationship whenever they uh, procreated him. David is explaining that he was conceived under the guilt of the curse of the covenant of works that he was under being born from the offspring of Adam. David was brought forth in iniquity, meaning David thinks of himself as a sinful person from the very time that he was born. So we've given uh, Bible verses and we've given definitions for the doctrine of original sin, but now I would like to uh, bring up some commonly raised objections to the doctrine of original sin. And the first objection and teaching that directly opposes the doctrine of original sin is called 
Pelagianism. And Hermann Bovink is not a Pelagist, but he writes in his Reformed Dogmatics, According to Pelagius, the image of God consisted solely in free personality, not in positive holiness, immortality, and so on. Adam's trespass, according to him, did not deprive humans of the image of God and, in fact, had no adverse consequences whatsoever. There is no such thing as original sin, according to Pelagius. Adam's trespasses negatively affected his descendants only in that it left them a bad example, which, followed by others, made sin a power among humankind. Hereditary transmission of sin is a mechanian error. Sin is not a state but an act and always bears a personal stamp. It would be contrary to God's justice to charge us with the sins of others, according to Pelagius. Bavink goes on to write about uh, Pelagius and his teachings. Sin, accordingly, is propagated not by generation but by imitation. Humans whose souls were created pure by God are still today born in the same state as Adam was before the fall. Sickness, suffering, death, and so on, uh, not punishments visited upon sin. Human beings are still completely free and can of themselves know and do good. They have no need of grace. It is indeed possible for them to abstain from all sins and have, in fact, attained this ideal. This is called Pelagianism. Pelagianism teaches that humanity is naturally good. And if you caught from the Bavink quote, Pelagianism teaches that they have absolutely no need of grace because they can do good and they have the ability to abstain from sin. Pelagianism is basically a works-based salvation. It teaches that you don't need grace to inherit eternal life. We know that's false from the Bible. By grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Pelagianism teaches that you are basically good, which is a worldly philosophy. And the Bible teaches that we are basically bad because all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. Pelagianism was condemned by the Christian church with the authority of Scripture. But since we've examined Pelagianism, it would be wise to also examine another teaching called semi-Pelagianism. And according to semi-Pelagianism, the consequences of Adam's fall consisted for him and his descendants. Aside from death, primarily in the weakening of moral strength. Semi-Pelagianism teaches that the fall caused the weakening of moral strength. Bovink writes, Though there is Actually, no real original sin in the sense of guilt, there is a hereditary malady. As a result of Adam's fall, humanity has become morally sick. The human will has been weakened and is inclined to evil. There has originated in humans a conflict between flesh and spirit that makes it impossible for a person to live without sin. But humans can will the good, and when they do, grace comes to their assistance in accomplishing it. Original sin as such cannot damn humans, and at most results in a punishment of the damned. It is 
an occasion for sin, not sin itself in the true sense of the word. Since the will is in a weakened state, however, it easily yields to the temptations of the flesh. Then, when the will agrees and consents to this conspicuance, original sin turns into personal sin, which renders a person guilty and deserving of punishment. So sim- or Pelagianism teaches that we're basically good, but semi-Pelagianism teaches that we are now morally sick or morally, neutrally, kind of bad, kind of good, and that we can do good or we can do bad. And I would contend that this is probably one of the most popular beliefs, but still unbiblical. According to Bavank, semi-Pelagianism is basically not much better than Pelagianism at all. Firstly, he writes, it denies the character and seriousness of sin. It denies that sin and guilt are inseparable, and semi-Pelagianism teaches that innate sinfulness only becomes sin and guilt whenever the will consents it to being sin, meaning that sin only is considered sin whenever you decide that it is actually considered sin. This is a major, major problem, and it obviously contradicts what the Bible teaches about us inheriting a sinful nature because of our relationship with Adam and Eve by birth. The doctrine that we've been contending for in this podcast is original sin. Bavink offers a third approach, which is this teaching that I would uh, say is the true teaching, original sin. He writes, Paul, however, having been instructed by the model of Christ, responds to this problem by saying that by the trespass of one sin, death came into the world and so spread to all humans. Adam's sin, therefore, must be viewed as an act committed by him and all his followers. Adam was not a private person, not one individual alongside other individuals, but all humans were included in him. Catch that last part. All humans were included in him. And it's more than just a bad example like Pelagius teaches. It's more than just being morally sick like semi-Pelagian teaches. We are now completely corrupted because of the guilt and the sin that we have inherited. We are by nature children of wrath. We are all sinners that have fallen short of the glory of God. We all need the gospel because we are all dead in our trespasses and sins. We cannot do good as human beings apart from Christ and his righteousness. As I read earlier, those who are in the flesh cannot please God from Romans chapter 8 verses 7 through 8. So what are the applications that we can draw from the doctrine of original sin? One major application can be drawn out of a quote by Bavink as uh, we conclude quoting him. He writes, By birth we are the heirs of Adam's sin in the same manner as by rebirth we become heirs of the righteousness and life of Christ. Earlier we mentioned that all who are in Adam die. 
all who are in Adam are guilty of their sin under the curse of the covenant of works. But all who are in Christ are considered innocent and righteous by the free gift of grace from Christ in the covenant of works. That is, once you have been saved, once you have been set free from your bondage by Christ, once Christ has spiritually opened your eyes, you are no longer under the condemnation of Adam's guilt. You are under the innocency and pardon and forgiveness of the free gift of salvation from God. Well, next we can see that if I'm totally corrupt and sinful by birth, if I'm totally unable to come to God until God comes to me, if I'm totally a sinner and totally and radically corrupt, then God gets all of the credit for saving me. I get no credit for salvation. Pelagianism and semi-Pelagianism gives credit to man for their salvation. This doctrine of original sin teaches that God does all of the saving. God must open the eyes in order for us to see his truth. God must resurrect us from us being dead in our sins in order for us to have spiritual life. Jesus must liberate me from my sin. Original sin makes us utterly dependent upon the grace of Christ. And lastly, I just want to point out, without the doctrine of original sin, there seems to be no overarching redemptive story from Genesis to Revelation. Meaning, without this doctrine, there's no purpose for why all these things are happening in the Bible. But with the doctrine of original sin, we see the work of the triune God redeeming a people for himself throughout all generations from all tongues and tribes and nations according to his will and to the praise of his glorious name. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. If you've enjoyed this resource or you simply like the Covenant Podcast, head on over to our iTunes page, subscribe, and leave us a review. We are also available via Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube, and Podbean. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.